Hello, everyone. Welcome to our podcast, What's Wrong With? Today, we have the absolute pleasure of speaking with Shawn Michael Hallman. Shawn Michael is currently a visiting fellow at the Graduate School of Design at Harvard University and a teaching fellow at the Center for Impact Strategy at the University of Pennsylvania. As part of his fellowship work at Harvard, he's exploring how design and planning can make for socially inclusive cities and welcoming public spaces. His 2020 TEDx talk, Reimagining the Public Library to Reconnect the Community, garnered international acclaim among library professionals. In 2021, he co-founded Libraries as Bridges, a collective of library professionals focused on understanding, advancing, and evaluating how libraries build social cohesion, promote civic renewal, and advance the ideals of a healthy American democracy. In this role, he has convened hundreds of library systems from across the country, as well as given talks to organizations such as Urban Libraries Council on the topic of public libraries and American democracy. Enjoy. Welcome to our podcast. Today, we have the absolute pleasure of speaking with Shao Michael Holman. He's a visiting fellow at Graduate School of Design at uh, Harvard University. Shao Michael, welcome. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you so much for being here. We were very much looking forward to this conversation. Can you please introduce yourself and talk a little bit about your background for our audience? Yeah, uh, I'm Michael Holman, uh, as you said, a current uh, fellow at the uh, Harvard University at the Graduate School of Design. Uh, prior to that, uh, I have done quite a bit of work over the last six, seven years in public libraries. And then before that, uh, I worked in kind of the large churches, the black mega church in, in the South in, in the United States, uh, served as an assistant pastor and a chief strategy officer. Uh, so I wanted to bring essentially both of those two institutions uh, into my research at Harvard, uh, really recognizing and understanding how both of those institutions play such a huge role particularly in black and brown and marginalized under-resourced communities, um, how both those institutions really are uh, foundations um, for the community. I wanted to bring both of those to uh, my research and, and sort of build ideas around both of those institutions. I love that. I do want to get into a little bit more about like when you first did the transition from churches to libraries, like what were some of like the synergies you immediately saw since both like serve communities. But I'm going to get into that on my second question. But first, <laughs> yeah. I do want to ask. So when you came into the library space, what is what are some of the things that, that you picked up on that were problematic? Yeah. So, you know, I um so so I got approached by we, this really came into a really wonderful uh, divine encounter with the leadership of the library system uh, in the, around the middle of 2016. And at that time, they presented me um, uh, this branch, this historic library branch. Uh, so Memphis Public Libraries has 18 locations throughout the city. Um, but Casa Library, which is where I was, was the city's first public library. It's located in the heart of downtown Memphis. Um, it has a really rich history and has been, you know, kind of a pivotal role uh, uh, through the life in the city of Memphis. Uh, but, the, but the branch was, 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 was in some ways on the downswing uh, in terms of visitorship, in terms of the range of programs and services that it was offering. Um, and so its relevance in the community uh, was struggling. And so working with library leadership, some amazing uh, library leaders, working with designers, working with the community, um, 
we began to put together a plan of, you know, how do we sort of reimagine this space in a way uh, that 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 meets the needs of the community, um, that makes it a, a, you know, kind of a pillar of the community, a community anchor. Uh, and what would it take to do that? Like, how would we have to, you know, push the boundaries of what people thought of what a library should be or could be? Um, as well as, you know, thinking about who we needed to partner with uh, to, to sort of enhance it and, and extend the reach of the library system. Right. And you mentioned um, low visitorship, I guess, yeah. library. Yeah. Um, in, in the research and as you were first like looking into that, were there any like main reasons of that uncovered in that research? And also, I guess this could both apply to like Memphis and to nationwide. Like, what are you observing there? Sure. Well, you know, for us locally, um, the, you know, there were, I think, a couple of things happening. Um, the branch itself uh, was aging, right? And so a lot of the things that people were looking for in terms of services and programs, um, the, the space itself uh, couldn't actually meet. Now, that's mm -hmm. not to disparage the library or the, or the, or the people that were working there, because I think they were doing a really amazing work. Even before I got there, they were doing some really interesting things. Uh, but the space itself um, lacks some of the visual cues that would make it inviting and would make it welcoming, right? Uh, for instance, you know, one of the things that we did when, when I first got there is we started sort of asking the question, well, who isn't coming in this building? You know, who who is, you know, you know, who are we serving? Well, of course, we always want to understand who are we serving and how could we better serve them? But we also started to ask the question of, you know, who who, who isn't coming through the doors? And so we started doing quite a bit of outreach, uh, quite a bit of community engagement. And some of that happened like on site. So, you know, we were able to essentially walk out the door uh, and stand on kind of a pretty busy intersection and sort of ask people, you know, hey, did you know there was a library here? You know, have you ever interacted with the library? What are your thoughts on the library? When was the last time you came in? Um, but also we got to sort of, you know, through sort of pop-up pop up programming, you know, doing some uh, sort of, you know, uh, you know, a few days here, maybe a week here and there at different businesses, we begin to sort of understand uh, what the community was looking for, what the community needed, as well as some of the concerns that they had, right? Um, and so some of the needs were, you know, hey, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm trying to grow my, my, my business, you know, as a creative entrepreneur, uh, and I'm looking for certain tools. I'm looking to be able, I'm looking for, you know, laptops that have uh, creative software. I'm looking for, uh, um you know, various sort of crafting and making tools that I could, you know, you know, maybe get my t-shirt business off the ground or get my jewelry business off the ground. The library doesn't really have that. Um, and so that was one thing, you know, from an equipment, a technology, a resource perspective. Well, there was also a very clear sort of class divide, right? Mm -hmm. uh, I think with, with most sort of urban, you know, downtown core libraries, there's going to be quite a number of individuals who are coming in who are experiencing homelessness. Um, and, 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 and many of the people who were not coming in the doors, even though they were not directly saying that were, were, you know, sort of indirectly or, you know, kind of implicitly, you know, saying, you know, uh, Hey, I have concerns, you know, I'm not sure if, if that area is really safe for me and my family. Uh, and of course we know that's sort of much of that is rooted in misinformation and, and very negative stereotypes, but that's something that we, that's something that we had to deal with. It, you know, if we wanted to create a space that was truly welcoming and inclusive of all people, then we had to sort of begin to wrestle with uh, these very real things that other people were saying. Hmm. 
So interesting. And you touched upon a point where we, what we actually like discuss even like in our studio, right? Like as a creative studio for us, like we, we have discussed this before, you know, a library, like many of the libraries, even like around the world today come from what it was really back in maybe like medieval times, right? Like a lot yeah. of um, like books and reading and taking uh, like understanding the learning process as only as like, okay, there will be books and there will be reading and that's it, right? Whereas now yeah. you're like 3D printing, you might be making stuff. And um, we were always thinking like, why isn't the library more like a makerspace meets like a lot of books and some, some digital needs, right? So, yeah, and, and uh, that seems like even like an example you're giving is so valid, right? The way we learn or what we want to do today at a library might be very different than historically what we were doing at a library. Yeah, indeed. I mean, you know, you, you have all of these sort of trends now that are pressing upon the library. You know, you've got connected, you know, toys, you've got uh, drones, you've got, you know, a whole group of digital natives who, you know, who think and learn and, and experience and interact with uh, things differently. You've got um, you know, gamification, you've got, you know, we talked about the maker movement, Internet of Things, uh, robots, right? All of these things are sort of coming at the library, pressing upon the library. Um, and the library is trying to, I think, in many ways, you know, both uh, here within the U.S., but also globally trying to, you know, trying to figure out and wrestle with, you know, how do we uh, stay true and maintain this sort of foundation of providing um, open access to knowledge and information, while also meeting some of the new uh, needs or, or the or kind of new ways that that that, that need is evolving and manifesting itself in, in in our communities. Yeah, and I think the community aspect is very interesting and the programming that serves a community. I like my reconnection with libraries. I think happened well. You know, I would occasionally. I live in New York City. I would occasionally go to a public library here because they're also like either in a very scenic area or like it, the insides are cool or it's like mentioned twenty times on like movies or whatever. So you right. want to be there, right? Yeah. Um, but also, uh, I remember like specifically, you know there was a time in my life that I was at libraries often and that was more in like college. And now if I really need to work from somewhere, I, you know, I can be at a coffee shop because I do have the luxury to like have access to books or like on digital books or eBooks. So, and you're kind of like, do I need to go to a library ever? Like I can't even have coffee there. <laughs> so the working really associated itself with like coffee shops more until I became a mother and I've discovered these, um, you know, in Brooklyn Public Library or like in Queens, uh, these story times, storytelling for kids. Yeah, yeah. And that was the initial like catalyst for me to really just like start going back to the library and I would take her and I love that there was like a kid section, which was like, okay, if you were allowed a little bit, right? Like I love that it created that like more age inclusive um, environment and programming for like kids. Um, so in that sense, like, I think that was my first realization of like the importance of programming for a library yep. and how it could serve a community. Um, so with that, I guess, like, first I will ask my like initial question I had on like, what were some of like, oh my God, this is so similar or so different when you move from like churches to libraries first, and then how you see like it serves communities today and how else it could serve. Yeah. And I, you know, I, I think that your story, right. Of, you know, I heard that really through so many individuals that I've, mm -hmm. that I, particularly in Memphis that I spoke 
with around, you know, having this love for the library, particularly as a as 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 a child, right? You know, elementary, middle, high school, you know, you're using the library yeah. quite a lot for, you know, reports or, you know, for 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 book reading and those sorts of things. And then for those of us, you know, who 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 went to university or college, you know, often you might have found yourself in the library. And then, you know, sort of beyond college, uh yeah. there's kind of a disconnect, right? Yeah. Until yeah. either, you know, either you maybe have kids or there's some other sort of thing that puts it back onto your sort of radar to into your map. And I think that is, if we're talking about sort of a, essentially maybe a problem that the library is experiencing or an opportunity for the library, uh, finding ways to, again, to establish that relevance uh, uh, for folks, uh, you know, kind of beyond say, you know, 20, you know, mid twenties until, you know, uh, you know, every, of course everyone will have kids, but you know, like, you know, how do you begin to sort of re um, how you sort of work to help people fall in love again um, with the public library is something that very much has been at the, center, at the center of our work and, of course, programming and design and engagement and outreach and so many other things really play into that. Um, but in terms of, you know, the, the parallels, um, they were pretty immediate for me. You know, I, I so I, I served at a very large church um, in, in, in sort of the core of Memphis uh, for about eight years before started working for the library. Uh, and, you know, the things that you see in the church are, you know, people are coming for community, right? You know, they're, they're coming to, to be um, in the midst of other people and to have this shared experience together, right? You, you, you see people coming from, you know, people from different backgrounds, uh, people who live in different parts of the city by chance, people who, you know, have grown up very differently, um, but understand like the power of having this shared experience together of, of, of singing together, of reading together, of praying mm -hmm. together, right. Of, you know, and going, you know, kind of taking sacraments, like, like there's just something about how to, how to all those things begin to, to form and create community. Uh, you also see people coming, you know, to learn, they're coming for knowledge, they're coming for information, they're coming to try to figure out like, man, what, how do I make sense of life through this faith lens, right. Um, for lots of people, particularly in a city like Memphis, people are also not only coming to experience a thing and, and, and to build community, but they often have very real needs. You know, sometimes people are looking, you know, or needing assistance with with food or or clothing or shelter. You know, so they're looking to try to see if the church can help them, and if they can't, can can they point them in some sort of direction? You know, can they point them to to the social service hub or to some other nonprofit organization uh, that might be able to help them? And so when I uh, started working at the library, it felt very similar to that, right? That I saw people coming in for knowledge and information. People were coming to, you know, get books and learn. I mean, about everything, right? I mean, you've got, yeah. you know, you've got self-help books on, you know, how to, how, you know, how to, how to cook a meal, how to sew, how to knit, you know, but you also just kind of, Hey, I, I, this, this new wonderful piece of fiction that has come out that I want to read and transport me to some other world. Right. Um, yeah. But also I began to see how programming could really bring people together. And that was something that we really, and this is kind of uh, where I'm spending quite a bit of time here at Harvard thinking about is the power of that shared experience, right? It, it, it is, it is so powerful and particularly in the, in, within a U.S. context right now, when we are so divided, when we are so polarized, when we are so isolated as, you know, as we are right now for a number of reasons, we really need those opportunities to have shared experiences with one another. And as I think about, 
you know, indoor public space. Uh, and, and I saw this, I think I was, I think I actually may have been at the New York Public Library and I was speaking with one of the people that worked at one of the libraries. And she said, you know, that she had saw this quote sometime before that said that the public library was the place that required neither your wallet nor your soul. And I said, <laughs> man, that, that's just really a, an amazing way to think wow, about it, right? Yeah. And, and so when I think about, you know, particularly indoor public space, um, places that have the potential to bring people together, I think the public library is perhaps the greatest uh, indoor public resource that we have in this country and beyond to bring people together. Definitely. And it's such a good point in terms of like that energy that's just bringing people together in a public space you know like you don't necessarily yeah. even have to be like singing together but you could just be like working side by side or reading side by side and um you know there's nothing more individualistic than like maybe a meditation experience but people still go to retreats together and they're in the same space together for that energy right so in yeah that sense, it's a, it's a, it presents such a great opportunity to become that center, which is also like democratizing, right? Because it's really enabling access. Um, and you don't necessarily, you can be from like any background or uh, any community and you can just like come in. And in that way, it's like one of the rare spaces I feel like left in our like public space, because there are a lot of also like so-called public spaces in all you know cities in US where it's mainly driven by retail, which is not necessarily accessible to all. So in that right. way, it's like one of the like rare spaces left. And maybe like as a design studio for us, obviously we're always fascinated. You mentioned design a few times. You know, obviously design of, of a public space is you know, a huge factor in um, attracting people, but also maybe creating a feeling with people, right? And I remember, yeah. I think it was Helsinki in Finland, uh, when I went to like their public library there to just like see the design because it was great design. I, I remember thinking this, oh my God, if my university library was like this, I would have spent even more time there. Like, it was like a clear, but I could be biased, you know, I'm part of a design studio. So maybe it like matters to me even more. But now like, as you're talking, I'm thinking of design, not only just like, like the wow aesthetics, but also in terms of functionality. If we're talking about, how like programming and I guess like diverse programming or programming that is resilient, right? Like our needs mm -hmm. at times change, but still we need some sort of um, programming from each um, public space. Uh, well, how do you see this like physical space evolving as books become more digital, as the programming varies? How do you, what kind of needs do you have from the physical space to like evolve within public libraries? You know, one of the um, so one of the questions that I brought to Harvard was was, and I'm I'm still I'm, I'm still sort of my thoughts around this are still evolving a little bit, but I, I've always sort of wondered, even with all the work that we did to make um, that branch, you know, feel as welcoming and inclusive as it could be, I've always wondered, you know, how could I better measure the publicness of this space? Right. And I think the question that I've had is that, you know, if this is truly this wonderful and inclusive public space, what would happen if on any given day everybody showed up, you know, mm -hmm. from from all different cultures, from all different perspectives, from all different beliefs? Like, like what would happen if everybody just for for whatever reason, like a, 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 a representation of every sort of thought, ideology, background, socioeconomic yeah. 
Yeah. Like, what, what if all those people showed up on any given that like, like, could we even handle that, right? Um, and that led me to one of the the really great resources that I found was there was a, uh, a social scientist here um, um, in the the fifties and sixties, and I think into the seventies, uh, who wrote this really wonderful book called The Nature of Prejudice, where he talked about uh, encounters. You know, we talked about kind of interactions. You talked a minute ago about you know how. I, this sort of need to sometimes you just sort of want to be in a space reading with other people who are reading. Right. Um, but sometimes you want to be in a space doing something else. Like you want to be, you know, shoulder to shoulder, learning a new skill, learning, um, lear learning a new hobby, uh, um, you know, trying a new food, uh, watching a play or a show together. Right. And, and, and so that requires a space to be, uh, uh, uh very flexible first off right and so for us what that meant was that uh, uh we got rid of all of our wooden bookshelves all right so all of, all of our shelving is on you know movable uh casters we, you know we can very quickly very easily if we need to roll the books you know to a corner and pop up uh you know chairs and tables we can do that right um but we also have um you know these very sort of you know larger multi-use spaces um, that can become many different things, right? So, um, for instance, on the second floor of the library in downtown Memphis, we have this multi-use space that has about eight different configurations, right? So on one day, it could be uh, uh, set up so that we could do a film screening, right? And then the next day, it could be set up so that we could have a corporate gathering there, you know, uh, like a mini retreat. And then the next day, it could be set up so that we could do a theatrical performance, Right. And so you see just sort of the range of things that you can do that might attract different people. Um, so I think both it is both this sort of need to be flexible, but this also kind of. Um, um, you know, foundational pieces that, that allow the library to sort of have some some still some of it still sort of identity. Right. I, I think is, 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 is where we landed. Uh, and so, uh, you know, for us, in addition to these very you know flexible spaces we also added a cafe right because a lot of people what we heard was folks who would say you know hey it would be great to have a place where i could study where i could do work and um coffee was available but i but i didn't feel like i had to buy coffee to stay there right like that if i didn't buy another cup of coffee people looking at me crazy and it's like okay it's time for you to leave now because you haven't bought the next cup of cappuccino right <laughs> so it's like okay well I, I you know i want it'd be great to have that right and then we also added you know i think things that you're seeing you know certainly that you i'm sure you saw in helsinki but uh you know these sort of maker spaces you know places to be able to record audio and video places to be able to tinker to be able to make um, places to be able to gather and work. We even actually have co-working spaces that actually have lockable storage. So you could actually check out a hot desk for the day, you know, in case you want to be uh, in, 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 you know, kind of in the midst of other people as you do your work. And so that's a little bit of, of, of what we did. But And I will also say, lastly, we made the place very beautiful. I mean, you know, we, we tried to take every piece of, you know, every amount that we had and figure out, you know, how do we make this as as beautiful as we can? You know, you know, how can we ensure or help the public compete with the private when it comes to uh, beauty and aesthetic and those sorts of things? I, I love all of those. And I love also you mentioned, you know, the uh, keeping 
some features that also just identifies as a library um, and it's like foundation because I was thinking as you were talking about like you know movable shells I thought, oh that's super flexible and cool and then I'm like imagining you know the library and like Beauty and the Beast right I'm like but no more those and then <laughs> yes yeah, so, so so we we did we did kind of we did kind of in one section of the library keep a wooden shelving um, where we have some some of our rare books and we have some art mm -hmm. that, that the library has. And so with that, we were able to, you know, to really kind of keep that 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 touch. Um, and, and we found that that really resonated with 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 particular audiences. Like there was some people that they, they really wanted to see that and really needed to see that reminded them of the library. Uh, um, and so it was important for us to to, yeah. to incorporate that. Yeah. In, I don't know if that's like a temporary, like transitional thing, like us, maybe like millennials kind of like still romanticize that, but maybe Gen Z and ours, they'll be like, okay, where do I download a book? And then right. right, right. <laughs> well, yeah. What do I plug in my phone? What do I record my TikTok? Right. That's what they're, uh, yeah. Or maybe, you know, we'll create spaces where like holograms are like doing like audiobooks or something. Yeah. But, yeah. Yeah. but yeah, in terms of like those, like the flexibility, multi-use, larger spaces that we can like adapt easily. And I guess like um, some, you know, both like, I guess like uh, unique experiences that could be like, oh, this is a library, but also you mentioned like beauty, right? Like culturally or locally, whatever that means incorporating yeah. that so it just becomes a space where you like feel great and I love you mentioned cafe because like that's my like I remember I, I think I was at like Queen's library once and um thinking I need a quiet like workspace today and I wanted to change scenery and Queen's library is the new one has great view so I was like okay I'm gonna go there and but I'm so used to working from like coffee shops. I'm like eating a muffin, right? And then somebody comes over and they're like, "You can't eat here." I'm like, "What? Yeah. This is outrageous!" Yeah, yeah, and, and I, I think that you know, I mean, that, that's that's, I mean, that that's part of the, I think, tension that exists, right? Because you know, you you are not, you know, I think most of us are not used to being able to eat or drink in a library, and so yeah, adding a cafe adds an element. I mean, not only does it add an element of Okay, we now have to wrestle with you know where is food and drink allowed in the space, but we also now have to you know begin to contend with what does that do to the noise factor of the space, right? Because there are people who you know solely are coming because they need a quiet space, right? Um, but then you have other people who are like, no, hey, I I I I'm welcome to noise, right? And so for us, not only did that come out through design in terms of the cafe. Is, is an open space you know and so when you walk in the library the cafe is on the first floor you're going to hear noise you hear people talk so it feels a little sort of jarring to some people yeah. like oh hold up what's going on this is not this is not the library that i'm used to right <laughs> yeah. um but then for us to also create pockets to create you know so again we have um three spaces that are quiet quiet rooms and and one of these quiet rooms could be either a you know the way that we've designed it is you know it could be this sort of reading room uh, where there are chairs and this this particular room has a beautiful view of the Mississippi River. It has one of the most amazing views in, in all of downtown. Um, so we created this to sort of be a quiet reading room, but that it could also be a meeting room. Like, so, you know, if you needed that, bring in four or five folks and sit down and have a meeting, hash things out, you could do that as well, right? So again, sort of trying to create that flexibility of even making sure that the type of furniture that we have in there is something that could easily be broken down um, so that this, you know, this, this room could become different things based off of the needs of the community. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I, I, I think 
Um, there was something to your point, what you said, like in the design phase and understanding your community and their needs. Like it's, I think many, I, I would assume you would definitely know better that many of the libraries um, could use a um, renovation or a touch up, right? And like both I'm sure in the US and globally. Um, yeah. But at the same time, it does call for, even though there could be some universal elements that could very resonate with every library, right? Like, like having flexible spaces to do whatever you need, but also um, this element of co-creation with like communities, right? Like really having a community uh, based and community led design process to understand yeah like who is visiting the most what do they need and also who is not visiting and why exactly what you were like saying um so to that point i guess do you have any um ad or advice on you know how that community engagement process during that uh during the renovations could happen given i i'm sure you know especially when we talk about public library i'm sure a lot of that renovation is contingent upon some funding that is uh, available Right. Once that's there, how can libraries most effectively use that budget to adapt to the for the future? Yeah, you know, um, I there's so many uh, things that 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 we did that I I just feel really proud of, um, and and that act of co-creation is so important, and I think it, it's important to remember that when you that 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 for me anyway, to do co-creation right, it means that you have to give up a little bit of power, right? That 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 I feel like I see instances where people want to do co-creation more so to be able to say they did it than to <laughs> really get, you know, oh, yeah. you know, um, and so you've got to give up a little bit of power. And so what that looked like for us, we had a one particular staff member, uh, Emily Marks, who just, you know, just got this, she just nailed this. Um, she in that, I told you that multi-use, space that we have on the second floor where you know performances and stuff uh she over about a three and a half month period uh interviewed both on-site and then off-site uh over a hundred artists or arts organizations um and just said hey this is kind of what we're thinking about with this space um what would you need you know how would you use this space right um and you know what she heard over and over again was people saying, hey, we need spaces as artists that are accessible, that are affordable, and that are inclusive. Like that we need all three of those things, right? Because people were saying, what she was hearing was that some artists would say, well, hey, there's this space in this part of town. I can afford to go there. Um, the things that I need are there. Uh, but as a person of color, when I walk in, the people that own the space are locking stuff up and that doesn't feel very inclusive at all. Right. Or they were saying, you know, Hey, there's a space on this other side of town that is very inclusive. Um, but it's, but, 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 but the cost is so high that if I get this space, I'm going to have to, you know, jack the ticket prices up in such a way where the people that I want to be able to, to see this art won't be able to see it. Right. Mm. And so what that, what that sort of became for us was, using that space in a way that allowed artists to kind of create a co-op model, you know, kind of this mutual aid model that says, hey, we won't charge you to use this space, you know, and if we do it, it will be very little. Um, and you can rehearse here, you can perform here, you know, you can do your thing here. And what we will ask instead of, you know, paying these very large fees is that you make sure that uh, your programming is accessible to the community, right? And so, you know, that if you've got to charge 
let's try to do that stuff after hours and then like you know you know kind of during library hours the things that you're doing whether those are shows or workshops or whatever those things are free to the community right and for some people that presented a barrier but for most of the organizations they said no we can do that 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 actually makes a lot of sense to us right and so that act of co-creation now essentially i think we've gotten to a place where artists and arts organizations will do most of the programming out of that space. And so librarians are now freed up to just do what librarians do best, you know, which is finding ways to serve the people who are coming through the doors, right? And so that is, I think, that act of co-creation that has now led to um, co-programming models is really, really interesting, right? But other things that we did, um, yeah, our building was closed for quite some time just because of the renovation posed many challenges. Um, and that sort of forced us um, to go off-site. And so there were a number of small businesses, such as a local food hall, that said, hey, we've got space here. You can come here and do a program. You can come here and do a thing. Um, and so with that local food hall, they gave us about 200 square feet. Uh, and we, we essentially, we put a pop-up library there. Uh, you know, we put we brought in a rolling bookshelves. Uh, and we had books that people could check out. Um, we had, uh, um, you know, coloring sheets um, for kids, we had you know midday stress relieving activities for people who worked in around it, running around the space. Um, we had this tack board that asked people, "Hey, what do you want to see in this new library? What you know, who are your favorite authors? When you think about books that you would just sit down and immerse yourself in, what would they be? Um, what sort of colors do you find representative of the, uh, of Memphis? When you think about Memphis, what you know, what pops to mind?" Um, and so through that, you know, just sort of just being in a space that was not our own. Um, we encountered people who said, hey, I, I had no idea there was a library that was that, that was that close to me. Um, I would love to come and be a part of that library, right? And that sort of allowed us to start having conversations with folks that we would not have otherwise had conversations with. So I think your degree to which you can say, you know, this is one thing to sort of set a table and say, hey, come to our table uh, and talk to us and convene with us and break bread with us. It's another thing to find out where the other tables are and say, hey, can I come sit at your table and just listen to what's happening yeah. in your part of the community, right? Yeah, I, I love that so much. I mean, so many of the things that you mentioned, it's, uh, I'm glad you highlighted kind of power sharing, right? I think it's like essential to be able to realize a successful co-design process. Otherwise, it is really no different than focus groups, which, you know, historically in any industry, we see that they're not really effective. Sure. Um, and I love how you mentioned you know, that like co-creation of the space is kind of leading into co-programming because of, you know, the sense of ownership that rises from that co-creation process, right? Like, why shouldn't they want to engage more? They were actively involved in the decision making of what that space should be for. So it only right. makes so much sense, you know, they would want to actually use the space. And not only that, but also in time of need, like to, you know, spearhead other collaborations and like offsite. Right. And just right. because of that, like authentic opportunity of collaboration and really feeling that it was more like a partnership process rather than you guys going in, just like poking people for like questions and then doing <laughs> in the end, whatever you felt like was appropriate, right? So, yeah, yeah. And, um, and, and I, I mean, I'll, I'll say one other thing on that. You know, I think it's important, the thing that, that I don't, I think perhaps we knew, but just we didn't, it wasn't, it wasn't top of mind is that once you start that relationship, you've got to continue to cultivate it, right? You, you can't just say, okay, hey, the building's done now. Everybody go back to normal. Like you've got to find ways to intentionally 
cultivate and nurture that relationship. It's very, very important to think about that from a from a from a leadership perspective. How do we continue to maintain and nurture this relationship? That's I'm, that's great that you mentioned that because I feel like you know as a more like boutique studio that practices a lot of you know co-design in projects, what we find our role kind of becomes a little bit also almost like a mediator, just because like we come in. And generally, if we're working for a larger institution and there there's like this effort of like understanding or creating solutions for a community, there's huge distrust there because of what you just mentioned, right? There's generally these like one-off interactions yeah. and not necessarily follow up or effort to like cultivate a relationship, which creates distrust in communities, um, you know, sometimes even trauma. And therefore, like, we have to kind of like we find ourselves trying to navigate that and see how we can carry over the insights that we're getting from the community to really convey that to the institutions to also tell them, look, like this work has to continue after we leave too. Um, yeah. And yeah. yeah, and I think that's also so crucial for a library just because it is a community center, right? If you don't cultivate that relationship, <laughs> you're basically hurting your own business. <laughs> indeed indeed uh, this is this is so great I do want to be mindful of time so I'm going to get to the last part where uh, I do want to ask your advice uh, for anyone who wants to make change push boundaries uh, push for progress in any field that they're in what would be your advice to them oh wow <laughs> uh <laughs> Um, well, you know, if I think particularly specifically about the library project that 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 it was part of, um, I give a lot of credit to leadership, right? I I don't think that project could have happened without um, the 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 director of the library, Keena McCloy, you know, who essentially not only brought me and my team on. But said, "Hey, I trust you to make the right decision. Like, I, I, I can't be involved in in the day to day because there's just so many other things that are happening. But I trust you, and I'm going to give you the flexibility to experiment and to try things, and, mm -hmm. and 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 I'm okay with that, right? And so I think that you know, I think if you're hearing this as a leader, I would say to you know." absolutely do your due diligence and you know if, if you're high if you're hiring you know just make sure you find the right person but then once you once you've hired people and, and you know they're good people give them the freedom to go and try stuff right in a way that doesn't penalize them if it doesn't work out you know in a way that just says hey this this this, this is going to get us one step closer to this this ultimate place that we want to be right um so so i that fact that not only did she, you know, sort of have, okay, hey, this is the North Star. This is what this looks like. This is what success looks like. But that sort of freedom to try was, mm. was, was, was really, really important. And then I would think, you know, from a, from myself, I think what made, what, what was really important was to not be afraid to try things, to not be afraid, um, knowing that I had the support of, of leadership. Now, that, that might've been a different story if I didn't have that level of support, but knowing that I had that support, I said, okay, well, I, we've got to begin to sort of ask these what if questions, right? Like, you know, one of the things that we thought about was, you know, the name of the place is Cossett Library. And for instance, for a, for a long time, we asked the question, okay, well, what if we, what if we remove the library? What if we just called it the Cossett? So that, so that people who had never interacted with the library or people who had interacted with the library and said, oh, I know what the library is about. 
had to sort of think, okay, well, hey, if, if it doesn't say library, but okay, maybe maybe I've got to go inside and just kind of see what they're doing in there, right? I love that. You know, that's that's sort of that's sort of kind of this big sort of what if. You know, what if we change the name? What if we what if we made this something very different than what we've thought about before? Uh, those sort of big what if questions, uh, I think, paid off for us in in, in a big way. Hmm. So being free to, well, I guess for like leaders, giving the space for your team to try things, but also as an individual, just being free to ask the what if questions to see where it might take you. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and that question really led to us bringing in a lot of different people. You know, we, you know, not only did we do, um, you know, sort of the, the, the co-creation and focus groups, but we also, um, because of the funding that we had at the time, we also gave out micro grants and we said hey you know the space is under construction right now it's not where it would be complete right now um we're going to give you an opportunity to pitch your idea of what you would want to do here you know like you know if you had five hundred dollars and 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 you could do whatever you want to do in this space what would you do right and people came and did stuff you know people came and did hip-hop yoga people came and did outdoor painting series people came and did uh, 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 self-defense classes, you know, for kids where they put on superhero costumes. <laughs> they got to sort of be their own superhero and learn self-defense, right? And that was also very interesting because it it helped us see, oh, okay, this is how people view this. Like we view this and we view this in one particular way, but the community views this in a completely different way. And where is their synergy? How might we, you know, kind of take all of this and create a space that people really love and resonate with? Yeah. I love these so much. I wish I wish I was like one of those, you know, like in the in the workshops of like superhero self. <laughs> it was so amazing. It, it was really cool because the kids the kids got to create their own superheroes. So so this person, um, you know, sort of talked to kids about you know uh, 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 some of their favorite superheroes, and then they, and then and then they talked about um, you know uh, design, and so the kids kind of made their own superhero costumes, and then they did this martial arts workshop, which was really cool, and then you know sort of like the call was like okay hey hey kids like you now know uh what superheroes do they go and save communities they go and work in their communities right so you take all this stuff that you've learned and go back to where you came from go back to your community go back to your neighborhood and see what you can do to make your neighborhood better maybe it's a trash pickup or recycling campaign right and so yeah. it was really really cool to see um you know just how people viewed uh, things they could do in the library you know Ah, I love that so much. Shao Michael, this was amazing. Thank you so much. Thanks for making the time. Yeah, thanks for having me. We look forward to, you know, seeing more of your like research coming out and see what things you will uncover and recommend for the future of libraries. And uh, we'll definitely be on the watch out. Thanks so much. Thank you. And that is this week's episode of What's Wrong with the Podcast. To make sure you never miss an episode, subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any other podcasting platform. You can also subscribe to our YouTube channel. Links can be found in the episode description, and you can also find them on our website, podcast.whatswrongwith.xyz. If you found value in the show, we would appreciate if you could rate us and leave a review, or you can simply tell your friends about us. For more details on our guests, follow us on Instagram and Twitter. Don't forget to join us next week. Thank you for listening.